I try to convey that we are still here, we're still in those spaces, and we have a right to live our traditional lives in those spaces. Welcome to Amherst and Abroad, a podcast run by student writers at the Massachusetts Daily Collegian in partnership with Amherst Media. I'm Celia Bayrak, and today I'm joined by Justin Beatty. Justin is a UMass alum, creative, art exhibit creator, powwow organizer, and performer, among many other things. He recently helped organize a November Red Native Artist Exhibition, an art exhibit in Holyoke celebrating Native art and culture with the Paper City Clothing Company. He is also the Native American Community Liaison for the Western Mass Art Hub and co-founder and drumkeeper for Pow Wow Drum Band Urban Thunder. Thank you for joining me, Justin. Um, can you introduce yourself in your own words? Uh, sure. Anin, Justin Beatty, Indishnikaz, Vigishkabin, Indishnikaz, Hadley, Massachusetts, Indojiba, Makwa, Indodem, Anishnabe, Indal, Minawa, Yesa, Minawa, Makadea, Sindal. Uh, hello, my name is Justin Beatty. In Ojibwe, I am called He Breaks Him Into Pieces. I live in Hadley, Massachusetts. Uh, I'm from the Bear Clan, and I am Ojibwe, Saponi, and African American. Thank you. Um, and earlier, you mentioned to me that you grew up as one of three Native American families in your hometown. Mm-hmm. And you began to attend UMass in the 90s, mm-hmm. I believe. Um, so, what kind of Native American presence wa- was there at UMass when you first started attending? And was this different to the community that you grew up around? Uh, The community here, there was a a fairly reasonable sized community here when I got here. Um, There were a a solid number of undergrads, probably like 30, 40 at the time that were active where you would see them. There were more students than that. But as far as, you know, being involved with cultural events and, and the like, um, when I first got here, there were maybe 30, 40 undergrads and another 15 graduate students and not a whole lot of faculty or staff, maybe three or four. Um, but um, that grew during the times that I was here. And at one point, I would say there were probably, oh, I don't know, 70 or 80 active students. You know, So we had several different RSOs that were Native-oriented we had a Native American freshman orientation program where we would bring the new freshman students that were Native on campus early and put them up for a week and show them around campus and introduce them to different people that would be helpful to them in their you know, college experience. Um, it, was, it was very different from where I grew up uh, to a certain extent. Like where I grew up in New York, um, you know, the city is only like 15, 20 minutes away. I think it was like, with, with stops on the train, it's 40 minutes with like 12, 15 stops. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, you hop in a car, you can be in the city in 15, 20 minutes. So as far as the diversity level, I was used to that. Um, the interaction with the sheer number of Native people on a consistent basis was, was a lot different. I was used to seeing Native people at powwows on weekends and things like that, but like not on the day-to-day scale that I mm-hmm. saw when I was going to school here. Mm-hmm. So. so you mentioned that your family gave you opportunities to connect to your Native heritage. Mm-hmm. Did you have similar opportunities to connect to your heritage at UMass? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, there weren't uh, as many, I think while I was here, there were maybe only one or two other 
students that were from my particular tribal nation, not, not the specific tribal nation, but like from the larger group of people, the Ojibwe people, Anishinaabe people. Um, but as far as access to like research materials, books and guest speakers and um, being able to travel to events, you know, with through the RSO, like if there was something going on at a different school, you know, we could arrange a trip to go visit or see a guest speaker or, you know, a movie, whatever. Um, so my access increased in that way and I had a little bit more control over what I wanted to access as opposed to when I was younger and I was kind of um, guided a bit more by family, what they allowed me to have access to, you know. Um, and, you know, college is one of those places where when you're at that age and you're sort of out and away from family, you have the opportunity to explore things on your own terms. And so that definitely played a factor in like why it was different for me. Mm-hmm. And would you say throughout this process, the UMass administration was supportive to you and the Native American community? Um, what resources were available to you to connect to your heritage? And what resources do you think were lacking? Uh, I wouldn't say that the administration itself was specifically helpful. Um, there were some programs that were helpful. Uh, when I first got here, um, most of the Native students were part of SEBS, so the Committee for the Collegiate Education of Black and Other Minority Students. But there was uh, specifically a Native advisor there. Um, when I first got there, it was a guy named Buddy Gwynn, and then it became uh, Renee Lopes Pocknett. And so, you know, for support, you could go directly to them. And they understood in a lot of cases, like, what you were going through as a young Native person. And so they would try to direct you not only to the resources that would be helpful, but to people that were in particular departments. They'd be like, no, don't go talk to this person. Go speak to this person because, you know, they know X, Y, and Z. Because it was part of their professional relationship, you know, to know these things. Um, there was a lack of support by the administration that led to the Goodell takeover in 97, where a bunch of us students, Alana students, uh, first-generation college students, poor students, students with children, um, to protest the lack of support from the administration. We took over the Goodell building for six days. Um, there was a, a lot of negotiation with the administration that went on. Um, and at the end of that, they agreed to support the Native community by creating the Native American Support Services Program, um, which was essentially a, a SEBS-like advising, advising program um, and support program, uh, but it was geared specifically towards Native folks. You know, we had Native advisors, um, we had a space in Bartlett, uh, offices where people could go to get, you know, academic advising, help with financial aid issues, um, set up tutoring sessions, somebody to help advocate for them with professors or with whomever. Um, that was eventually moved uh, under CMAS. I, I, it was moved under whatever the program was before they started calling it CMAS, but now it's um, sort of folded into CMAS and it's not a single entity anymore. It's just part of that larger group. Um, there were things that were lacking um, just because the, 
the lack of education that people in general have about Native people. They tend to see us in a very particular light as either in the, only taking place in a historical context or not being important enough to warrant whatever. That was one of the constant fights we had was like, you know, we need better services. And they say, well, you don't have the numbers to warrant the services. And say, well, we can't get the numbers if we don't have the services because we're not going to tell members of our community to come here if there's not things to help them succeed. You know, so it was this sort of back and forth a lot where they just, they didn't see, uh, mind you, this is just my perspective. I can't say that this is exactly what they thought. But from my perspective and from what I saw from people in some of the conversations I had with administrators that I was cool with, um, they didn't see an intrinsic financial value to supporting Native students. Um, their interest was maybe in the students that were part of federally recognized tribes because then the school can access government money. But as far as, you know, state recognized tribe, tribal members, or non-enrolled tribal folks, um, they just didn't really have an interest. And, and that's another issue that also takes place within the Native community, like the arguments about some of those things. So, um, you know, but the, the Native community is resilient, and we've always kind of had to, not had to, we've always done things on our own, and we, we'll continue to do so. Can you tell me a little bit about your art now um, and how you use your art to combat an idea like that, that Native students don't exist in the modern world or mm -hmm. don't exist in the numbers that they actually do? Well, I, I, you know, first off, like I grew up in a relatively urban environment and um, I grew up going to powwows like in Manhattan, in New York City. There used to be powwows at this place called the McBurney YMCA. And so, you know, in the city, I was used to seeing Native people, you know, and going to powwows and being part of the culture, um, of the cultures, because it's not a single culture, but um, I knew what the, the visual reference points were for Native folks, right? Certain clothing, brands or styles, um, not so much like physically how you look, but what you were doing, what you wore, how you wore it. Um, you know, there's certain ident cultural identifiers that if you participate in a culture, you know them when you see them. Um, so it wasn't uncommon for me to see Native folks in a city setting. You know, it wasn't uncommon for me to see folks, you know, doing the same things that other folks were doing, but people would just not envision us as Native folks in those spaces. They would just assume that we were some other ethnic group, more often than not. I mean, I, I couldn't tell you the number of times I've walked down the street and somebody's like, start speaking to me in Spanish. And I'm like, I, I, don't, I don't speak Spanish. And they look at me like, like I'm the worst kind of Spanish person because I don't speak Spanish. And I'm like, but I'm not, I'm not Latino, I'm not Hispanic. Like, and they're like, you know, okay, don't be ashamed. Um, but like, that's part of that unfortunate side effect of the education that people have got around Native folks. It's like, Unless they see us in our regalia, you know, beadwork, feathers, you know, leather, whatever, they can't imagine us as a Native person, right? I've had people, and, and you know, 
it's just as an experience across my life. I know certain looks when I get them. Like somebody looks at it a certain way, you know what they're thinking because you've seen that look a million times. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I've had that look when people say, "Oh, you know, I'm, I give a lecture or, or something," and then I talk to them. Somebody comes up with a question later and wants to talk privately, and I they look at me and they're either a trying to imagine me like I should have braids, and you know I should be wearing you know a breech clout and you know whatever or they're trying to go you don't look you don't look native to me mm-hmm. right and it's because in their head they have a picture of what native folks should look like so with my art i try to challenge that i try to juxtapose the idea of people seeing folks in their traditional regalia they're, they're not costumes i want to point that out a lot of times people say costume costume is something that you put on when you're pretending to be something that you're not these are our traditional clothes. We call them our regalia, our dance outfits. Like, this is my costume. I'm pretending to be a normal American, mm-hmm. right? Um, so in my artwork, I try to convey that we are still here, we're still in those spaces, and we have a right to live our traditional lives in those spaces, right? So I have um, one of my popular pieces is uh, what's called a fancy, a woman's fancy dancer, which is a style of powwow dancing, dancing out in front of a bodega. You know, I have another one of a woman in her jingle dress hailing a cab in the middle of Times Square. You know, um, I have one of an Aztec warrior just kind of chilling, standing in the middle of the city. You know, and each one of those things is about something beyond just what's there visually, but like that's the thing that acts as a starting point for people is seeing Native people in modern spaces. And then from there, like, okay, well, what's the discussion? Why did you draw that? Like, why is why does it come out that way? Um, I think it's very important that people realize, like, we don't have to cater to your sense of who we are. That's not our job. That's not our responsibility. We need. We only need to worry about ourselves. And you know, and I don't mean that as like trying to be an affront to anybody, but. So many, so often we've been presented as like a gimmick or a novelty. People want us to perform for them, and no, like that's not that's not our job. You know, we do try to educate folks to a certain extent, but there's been so much appropriation and disrespect. It can be difficult to be willing to share information beyond a certain point. So my art is a way of conveying information without putting it in a way that can necessarily be easily appropriate. And you also mentioned last time we talked that UMass often groups marginalized groups together when providing services and resources mm-hmm. um, and space for students. They often group all minorities and marginalized groups together and that often includes Native American students. Mm-hmm. Um, can you speak a little bit more on that and how can UMass acknowledge the Native community's rich and unique culture for itself and provide resources that is specialized to them and not for the entire group of marginalized students at this university? Right. Um, well, you know, again, first of all, I don't want to, um, I want to make it clear that I'm speaking for, for myself. There's, you know, 570 plus federally recognized tribes, another 60 plus state recognized tribes, and other Native folks that are not recognized by any sort of government or governmental organization. Um, 
So I'm really just speaking from my experience as a, a community member and as a former student and current alum. Um, you know, every community has their own needs, right? The difficulties that the um, Asian community is different than the difficulties faced by the Latino community or the black community or the native community or the Arab community or you know, any number of the religious communities. There may be some overlap, right? But there are nuanced things that are very different from community to community. Mm -hmm. And general support, of course, should be lumped in. There should be baseline support for every group of people. But the historical situation that people come from, the cultural understanding and worldview that people come from, the language uh, issues that, based on you know where someone comes from or their access to language, um, put people in different modes of need, want, desire. What what you desire culturally, you know what what myself and other native folks that I know um, have expressed that what we want culturally is not the same as what other groups want necessarily, right? Some Native folks are very much not like greed or uh, finance-oriented, right? And money is not the important thing to us. We understand that it's a necessity in order to provide, but it's not necessarily the thing where we're like, we'll, we'll step over our own grandmother to get the money. It's just not, you know, community is very important to us, right? It's making sure that our community has what it needs. And, making sure that our elders are taken care of, making sure that we're passing down appropriate information to our young people, the ways that we go about that, the ways that we um, practice our spirituality and our things that our culture requires of us, our cultures require of us when we choose to take on this responsibility, vary from group to group. Mm -hmm. And so when you lump everyone together what happens is whichever is the largest group, often what happens, whichever is the largest group, things are going to be skewed towards their needs and wants, right? If you, I, it's my understanding that they're looking to put uh, a lot of these um, organizational practice groups at what, in Goodell, right? So all the cultural centers will be in Goodell. That runs the risk of having whichever the largest group is dominating that space, right? And then so now you become the marginalized amongst the marginalized, right? Then you also have everybody tucked away in one space. So not only are they out of everybody's way, so you can't really see them, but now if anybody wants to target somebody, they know exactly where to go, right? Mm -hmm. There's there doesn't take a whole lot of effort now. Mm -hmm. um, and not that it should take effort to have access. Don't get me wrong. Um, but if you desire access to your community, you make the necessary effort to get access to your community. Mm -hmm. um, the things I think, you know, I, I know there's a Native Advisory Council, and I know like they do, they've done things like they've worked on um, some of the policies around like, so for a lot of Native cultures, uh, burning tobacco and sage and cedar and sweetgrass is like an important part of prayer. 
important part of like ceremonial behaviors and activities. And we just do it a lot of times without second thought. Like if I feel like smudging, I should just be able to pull out my, you know, my shell, my tobacco, my sage, my cedar, my sweet grass, light it and let it sit here and whatever. But, you know, there's policy against smoking on campus or having tobacco products burning and, you know, cooking in your room and all those things. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's something that is important to us in a very, like, intrinsic way. It's inherent in uh, who a lot of us are mm-hmm. as identifiers, being able to have that practice as a religious practice. So the Native Advisory Council, I believe, worked with, you know, the school to kind of work around those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Um, Having access, one of the things that has been brought up that in the conversation that I've had with some folks that's been contentious is about the school's relationship with the community. Mm-hmm. The school, uh, at least some of the administrators and staff that I've heard from, take the approach that the school isn't here for the community, it's here for the students. Mm-hmm. And so the community doesn't really need to be on campus and they don't really, they're not really, I don't want to say unwelcome, but it's not exactly promoted that you know this the community should have access to stuff right the community shouldn't have access to the josephine white agricultural center well when you come from a a culture that community plays a huge part Mm -hmm. of your understanding of how the world works and they're telling you well you can't have that Mm -hmm. that's problematic so now now i have to make this choice of like well do i want to be in school or do i want to be part of my community Mm-hmm. And you shouldn't have to make that choice because they're, they're they're not necessarily mutually exclusive unless people try to make them mutually exclusive. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, working with the community beyond the Native Advisory Council, which I don't, I think the Native Advisory Council is a great step. Mm-hmm. Like I think it's an important piece, right? Because these are folks that. Um, some of them are folks that work at the school, so they understand how things work. They have access to different people in a way that the general community might not. It would be difficult to have the whole community involved because it's such a large community. But to understand that like being community-oriented is a very important part of a lot of Native folks' life, mm-hmm. you know, um, and that preventing them from being able to access that in a way that supports them trying to get their education mm-hmm. is, um, is something that needs to be addressed, right? The, the other thing is I think the students need access to more Native people at the school that can advocate for them, like specifically mm-hmm. Native people that they can go to and say, I need help with this thing dealing with financial aid or the bursars or registrar or you know, my professor or the department or whatever and have somebody who is also a Native person that understands some of the personal requirements mm-hmm. that a Native student might have, that maybe they aren't as adept at conveying to their professor or to these people. Mm-hmm. Um, again, you know, everybody has different needs and the circumstances under which some of these students are here, uh, you know, a lot of them are working students. They're taking care of their families as well as trying to be in school. And there's a lot of students doing that, don't get me wrong. But, um, you know, your your responsibilities to your community um, mm-hmm. 
you often need access to the community so that you can have the support that you need. You know, mm -hmm. my, my family, we try to make sure that the students know, like, hey, you know, if you need a home-cooked meal, if you just need to get off campus, you need to do laundry, you just need something mm -hmm. that's not campus, like, call us up, mm -hmm. come over, show up. If we're home, you can come, you know, we'll let you in, like, and you can sit down and eat and watch TV and just not be on campus for a little while. You need a quiet place to study. You know, we try to make sure, and that's not just for UMass, that's for all the Native students. I just was at an event for the students at Amherst College, mm -hmm. told them the same thing, because that's just one of the ways that some folks in our community operate and give support. So, mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, the other thing is that administra administrators really need to show up to Native events on campus and not do the show up like, hey, I'm here, be seen. Mm -hmm. You know, I understand they're busy. I'm, you know, I'm, I, I'm not saying that, and I'm not saying that they shouldn't come at all if they can't come and stay. Mm -hmm. But I think they need to come with the intention of sitting and learning and spending time with the community and really building a relationship outside of like, showing up and being like, hi, I'm such and such an administrator, and yeah, you can have access to me, but then when I try to access you, I can't get a hold of you, or you're just going to shut down anything that I bring to the table. Mm -hmm. That's not really a relationship. Mm -hmm. So, those are a couple of things. I hope that answers your question. Yes, I know it was kind of roundabout. No, that's perfect. And I will say the two biggest needs of college students is a home-cooked meal and laundry, so <laughs> somewhere to do their laundry, yeah, so yeah, I'm if sure they appreciate people that. People that say nothing lasts forever don't actually own clothes, because <laughs> laun there's always laundry, there's always laundry. Always. It's one of, you know, it's this, it's simple things yeah. that can make a difference, yeah. like just something to just take a little bit of stress off, mm -hmm. you know, just yeah. a little, to not be in a dorm room, to be in a, just a, you know, a living room, an actual yeah. living room. Mm -hmm. And somebody brings you a plate of food, and you can Ooh. just sit there and eat, right? That sounds so blissful right? to me right now. <laughs> the, the, you know, and, and, like, I knew when I was a student, you know, I lived in Gorman, and, yeah, like, you know, you guys, the, the food you guys get in the dining commons now is it's, light years beyond yeah, what we were eating. Amazing, you know, um, You know, my family lived in the area, so, yeah, I could go home and eat. You know, and that was, you know, I sometimes bring the students and they were always thankful. You know, mm -hmm. um, Renee, who was one of the, um, was the advisor, native advisor through SEBS, she lived in the area. So she would have, you know, hey, kids, just come on out. We'll cook some food out in the backyard and like, you know, be off campus and you can just decompress for a little while. Mm -hmm. That's a very important thing. And to be able to do that in a place where people have the same cultural understanding as you, so you don't walk in and go to do something that's natural to you and a person looks at you like you have eight heads, mm -hmm. you know, um, it, it makes a difference. It yeah. makes it, it just makes it, makes you feel like, okay, I can, I, you know what, I can go on for one more day. Mm -hmm. I can make it through this class with this professor because I know I can just go over here and talk to these folks, mm -hmm. you know, um, those kinds of things. Are, are things that the administration needs to be aware of. It wasn't uncommon for elders in the community to just go up to the cultural center and just be there and talk with the kids. And the kids would get to learn about cultural stuff because the elders mm -hmm. were accessible and sharing. So. Yeah. And you emphasize how important community is to mm -hmm. the Native population. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about that and just Describe a few instances where you did have that strong sense of community, whether that be at your time at UMass or afterwards mm -hmm. um, in this area. 
Well, you know, um, like I said, there's, there's various tribal nations throughout the country. And, you know, we get Native students from all over the United States and some from Canada and Central America, Caribbean, etc. Um, those communities have their own ways of, of doing things, right? They have their own ways of um, understanding kinship. They have their own ways of understanding leadership. They have their own ways of understanding um, economic practices and politics and spiritualities. When I was here in the 90s and there was a large student population, what I would consider a large student population, there was also the early formation of the Native Studies program here. Right? It was a certificate program. My stepfather actually started it and ran it for quite a few years. Schools from around the rest of the country were coming here to learn about the program that was being developed. It was like this was the place to look. UMass and Dartmouth College up in New Hampshire on the East Coast were like the two schools where it's like if you had a Native program or if you were developing a Native program, you wanted to go there and see not only what the academic side was, but like what was the community side. How were, the, how were these students interacting with the school? How were they interacting with each other? How were they being supported by folks outside of that little bubble? So, you know, if you have uh, students here that are nipmuc, right, they're going to be able to kind of relate to each other depending on their own access to nipmuc culture. Um, maybe you have Abenaki students, you know, and they're going to understand things from an Abenaki perspective. But we have a collective interest in seeing Native communities as a whole um, succeed and excel. Most Native students, if they're coming from a reservation and they come to school here, they, a lot of times their intention is to come get an education, then go back to their community and help develop that community, right? Even if they're non-reservation kids, a lot of times it's like they want to go back to where they are and help the Native folks where they're, where they're from. Mm-hmm. You know, or, or go to a reservation and help Native people. When, at the time that I was here, and I would say it was probably, you know, one of the times that there was a peak of Native students. We had the UMass powwow, which would have three, four hundred dancers. It was the weekend after a big powwow in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you had Native folks that were traveling from all over the U.S. and outside of the country to come to that powwow, and so they would come to UMass, and they would learn about the school, and they would learn about the community here, and then guess what? The numbers of students that wanted to be here went up. Mm-hmm. You know, more students applied because they saw, hey, there's a community there. There's stuff for us there. They do the things that we do. You know, they hold potluck dinners where everybody brings something. They mm-hmm. have um, elders come and you know stay on the native floor and visit with folks. And so they have access to cultural teachings and histories and things like that. We're doing a lot of programming, bringing in guest speakers, bringing in performers, um, showing movies, doing you know a lot of things that if you're from a particular community and you go someplace and you see, hey, they have a bunch of stuff that I do with my community at home, it feels a lot less you know, distanced. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was, then there were things like, we were, the Native students, we were thick as thieves, like we all hung out together, right? Mm -hmm. 
So if there was a party on campus, like jeans and t-shirts or um, Hasa Casa, you know, any of these big events, we would all go as a group, you know? And people are like, oh, the native kids are here. Like, all right, we know we're having a good, you know, we know it's a serious party. <laughs> we went to everybody's events. People came to our events, you know? And that was, that was the, the difference, right? That was the, the actual diversity was not only that there were all these different groups, but that they were interacting. Mm-hmm. Because you can have a whole bunch of different groups on campus and call it diversity, mm-hmm. but if they're not really interacting, it's, it's not, you know, it's, not, it's just a bunch of different groups. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not, we were learning from each other. We would trade songs. We would talk about clothes. We, a lot of these other um, marginalized communities are also giving cultures. And so we would trade gifts. You know, I give give somebody bead work. They would give me something from their culture, and and I don't just mean um, you know these are folks from European cultures as well. You know, that are involved with their own indigenous identities from wherever they were in the world. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we like I said, we also had the Native American Freshman Orientation Program, where we would bring you know like you know as a freshman you have freshman orientation where you come and they show you around campus and all mm-hmm. that. We would do the same thing, but we would introduce you to all the other Native kids on campus. We would introduce you to the Native faculty on campus. We would introduce you to Native staff. We would show you where to find things on campus. We would tell you, like, things that the regular orientation isn't going to tell you. Not that they're keeping that information from you, but it's just that maybe it's not something that was pertinent to you, you know. Um, We very much had a kinship-oriented situation, like... We treat each other like you're my little brother, you're my little sister. You're my big brother, you're my big sister, you're my auntie, you're my uncle. You know, you might be my professor, but you're my auntie. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much. Uh, thank you for taking the time to sit down and talk to me, as my always. Um, if you have anything else you want to add, now is your time. <laughs> um, May 28th and 29th on the Amherst Common will be the second annual Odenong Powwow. Um, it, it, and a powwow is a cultural gathering, uh, social cultural gathering. Sometimes there's some ceremonial aspects to it, but primarily it's just an opportunity for us to get together as Native people and express who we are and have a good time. And you'll hear Native music and try Native foods, and there'll be, you know, vendors selling all kinds of stuff, from everything from clothing and toys to things for your house, um, and we have a really, really good lineup that we're putting together in terms of like the native um, people that will be helping to run the event. Um, last year we did it virtually. Well, this year we did it virtually, and we had over 80, 84,000 views. And so um, this is it's open to the general public. If 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 there's a powwow and you hear about it, people always say, "Oh, can I go?" If you hear about it, it's open to the public. Mm-hmm. The ones that are not open to the public, you're not going to hear about. Trust me on that. Good to know. You know. Okay. Um, but yeah, I'd like to invite everybody to come down. It's going to be it's going to be a good time. It'll be fun. Saturday and Sunday. It'll probably run from say like ten in the morning till six each day. And um, yeah, check out my website for artwork. I hope you don't mind the shameless no, plug. Keep plugging. Yes. Uh, plug www. B is in boy, D is in David, V is in victory, art.com. Um, and yeah, so artwork and t-shirts and backpacks and there'll be more stuff coming as well. So um, yeah.
Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me as well. Of course, I appreciate you. Thank you. All right. Have a good one.